Welcome everybody to the Change Start Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And today I feel incredibly honored to have our guest with us. There was a book written uh, probably over 14 years ago called The Energy Bus that changed my life. And at that time in my life, I was traveling mainly three states in the Midwest, but I ended up doing some traveling across the country to schools all across that area. And almost every principal that I had the opportunity to sit down in their office with had the energy bus on their shelf or prominently displayed on their desk. And that was how I got introduced to it. And it's changed my life since then. It's changed thousands of people, probably probably even millions now of people's lives throughout time. Uh, and today we've got the author, John Gordon, here to talk about one of his latest books, The Power of Positive Leadership. And I, I don't know, I'm just, John, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for making your time for us. Hey, thanks, Dustin. It's, it's great to be with you. And I just, I just love hearing that story about you traveling. And that was me when the energy bus came out. I was traveling around the country, going door to door, small event to small event, five people, one event, 10 people, another. No one had heard of the energy bus. This was 2007. And so I was an unknown author just trying to share the message out there. And it's really cool that someone like you read it, it impacted you. And then years later, here we are speaking on it. I recently did a podcast with a guy who was 28 years old and he's like, yeah, I read the energy bus when I was 18. I'm like, wow, it's been around that long. You're now a 20 year old man and you were just a high school student then. And it's pretty cool. I can't believe I'm that old. Can't believe the book's been around that long because the book now reaches more people now than it did last year, more than the year before. So it's actually more popular now in 2021 than it was in 2007 when it came out. So. I'm just thankful I got, I got a chance to write a book like that and love to do this work. And I love working with educators and having an impact on, on their lives because educators are my heroes. Well, you've been changing the, the lives of countless educators, but also, uh, as you know, the students and families that they get to serve. And so that's one of the reasons that when we started this podcast, your name was at the top of my list as someone I had to talk to because of the impact you've had in my life personally, but in the lives of so many uh, leaders that I respect. Um, uh, in, in education. So thank you. Uh, the first question I have for you is one that I've always wanted to ask. Uh, you, you write, all of your books have some sort of slant of positivity and energy. And you're someone that has talked a few different times about how you're not innately a positive person. Cause you can tell us a little bit about that and how you came to be an author writing about positivity so frequently. Yeah, it's ironic that this is my life's work because I'm not naturally positive. So I grew up in Long Island, New York, in a Jewish Italian family, a lot of food, a lot of guilt, a lot of wine, a lot of whining. And so my family wasn't very positive and I grew up not very positive. So I had to struggle with it for, for years. And then eventually my wife had had enough of my negativity. And she <laughs> said, I love you, but I'm not gonna spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. You need to change. And I had to change. I had to become a more positive person. So I started to research all the ways that I could be more positive, started to do some practices of it, started to really engage with the ideas I was learning about. I came up with a thank you walk. So every day I would take this walk of gratitude. And while I'm walking, I would just say what I was thankful for. And the research shows you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. So if you're feeling blessed, you won't feel stressed. So I was doing this thank you walk. I eventually wrote about that in the story of the energy bus where George starts taking gratitude walks, thank you walks, and it floods your brain and body with these positive emotions that uplift you rather than the stress hormones, stress hormones that slowly drain you and kill you. And so by doing that each day over the years, it really made me a more positive person. And 
I used to wake up, you know, with anxiety, with some depression. There were times I was depressed. So what people are going through now, I understand it. I understand the mental battle that, that people are facing. I faced that for years, but by feeding myself every day with this positivity, by doing the work to become a more positive person, it's really molded my brain. I rewired my brain from negative to positive and that changed everything. So I've had to walk the walk. I write this book about a guy who wants to be more positive. I write a lot about positive leadership, as you know, and positivity, and yet it's my daily natural walk. And so when someone yells at me on the road or, you know, or, you know, the other day, like I, I walked in front of this guy at the airport and as I walked in front of him, like I, I had to slow him down. He was so mad. I just, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's like, all right, it's fine. But you know, I could have like, he was so mad at me. I could have been mad back, but just said, I'm sorry. And that positivity goes a lot, goes, goes, goes a longer way. And you feel a lot better after the interaction. Mm, I, I just was laughing. Cause I can imagine you walking in your neighborhood, someone driving by saying too blessed to be stressed. You're like, God, this is a blessing and a curse. Thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> well, in my neighborhood, people do know the work I do and people have read my books in my area, which it used to not be the case. And so now I get people that will drive by and honk <laughs> or they'll stop, they'll they'll roll down their, their window and they'll wave. And then they'll also want to talk. So I, I, I just want to walk. Like I just want to get my walk in. I want to practice gratitude. I need to get my mind right for the day. I'm not naturally positive and people want to then do that. So it is it is uh, humorous for me that, that that's the case, that that's the way my life is like now. Well, to your point, one of the things that I glean, and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the energy bus, but um, the one of the things that I, I took is, so I, I'm someone who gets up early in the morning, about 4.30, and I've got my kind of routine. But one of the things that I learned, uh, you know, I wrote a mission statement for myself that I've kept since I was about 20, 21 years old. And uh, you taught me the power of visualization. So in the morning, you know, I'm, I'm doing the gratitude and thinking through, but also I'm visualizing the day. I'm visualizing the... Uh, success I want to see in my life and the impact I want to have. And so that's something that I, I think is really powerful. If people aren't doing it, they should think about doing it. Is that something you still do? I do. I still visualize. I still put out just positive energy. I still think about my vision and purpose often. So what is my vision? Where am I meant to go? What am I meant to do? What is my why? When you know your why, you'll know the way and you won't let obstacles get in the way. So I often think about the vision often and the mission, and it's to encourage and inspire, you know, millions of people, one person at a time. I always want to make time for that one person. So that does keep me going. I often say, you really have to think about your vision and purpose. Your vision is greater than your circumstances and your purpose is greater than your challenges. And so living with that vision and purpose is key. Less visualization, more, I expect great things to happen today. I accept all the people and clients that want to work with me. I receive all the great organizations that I get to, to work with and make a difference. I trust in a greater plan for my life. I'll say those things as I walk. And I wrote a book called The Carpenter, which is about building greatness. And it's about a guy who's struggling and he and his wife are trying to build this business together. And it's the greatest success principles of all. And I share sort of this journey that this guy goes on and he starts to say those things just as I did you know, on my own journey and they, they work a lot, but I want to know how you get up at four 30 in the morning every day. Cause I'm a 7 AM, 7 30 kind of guy. Uh, I, I, again, this podcast is not about me, but I will say it's something that, uh, 
it's pretty tough. I've got three young kids. I've got a six month old, a four year old and a seven year old. Wow. And uh, to your point, like when life happens, it's one of those things that you can get knocked off course. So when I'm not getting up that early and letting, I'm not getting in front of the day, setting my intentions, setting my vision for the day, being ready to show up, I'm playing defense all day because as beautiful and as amazing as kids are, they throw you off and life throws you off. And I just felt like I was in a reactive state. So even though 4.30, some days to your point, it's really hard to get up. Some days I get up before the alarm and that's great. Um, it is the time for me. And again, as I, my point of sharing my time getting up early was using some of the practices that you've taught me years ago. Do you work out in the morning first thing? I do. So I, I will generally, so I have 30 minutes of uh, meditation, prayer, whatever we, we do during that time. And then I either go the next hour with working out or I do work and visualization for the day. And so basically what I wanna be is present for every meeting that I have and fully present, not distracted by anything. And so that allows me to do that. And so depending on what I have, if I'm really stressed about work that day, I'll start with work, then I'll work out or I flip it. I bet you get more done before eight o'clock than most people get done all day because you're really productive during that time, right? Right, because my kids uh, aren't really messing with me and don't wanna be around me, I do, that's true. That's awesome. <laughs> you also write in the morning? Uh, I do, actually. That's one of the things that I've just started doing, uh, honestly, uh, with the podcast. I've started to write a lot more and it's been, that's been freeing because it's been, I've had a much clearer head in the morning before life has gotten me. I found out that I was always best writing in the morning and when I had young kids, they're now 22 and 20, but when my kids were, were younger, the only time I could really write was in the morning. So I would get up early before they got up mm. and I would write because once they get up and they want your attention, you're done. You can't write. So I would right. write first thing. And I think that's important for anyone who wants to accomplish something meaningful, something special, something great, that they have to find that productive time and they have to make the time. You can't say, oh, I don't have the time to write. I have this going on, I have that going on. No, make the time, get up earlier, go to, go to bed earlier and do what you need to do or want to do to create the life that you want. And you start early to do that. If I didn't get up early to write, I would have never wrote the energy bus. I wrote it in three and a half weeks every day of just, wow inspiration encouragement i'd get up each morning i would write go take a walk come back write some more and edit what i wrote at night and then the next morning start again and that's how i wrote a book in three and a half weeks every day you wrote the energy bus in three and a half weeks three and a half weeks almost every book i've written the longest it's taken is about four weeks but three and a half to four weeks is is how long it takes to write i usually write every december when things slow down and I write in the mornings and I can't take all the credit. I, I do pray and I really believe God gives me the words that I'm meant to write. Mm -hmm. And then you see how the book impacts people. I know that I'm not the author, just the pen. Uh, that's amazing. And I, I can definitely feel that when I read your writing. Uh, a quick side note. So uh, to your point about getting up early, uh, I have a, a, a very good friend who just out of the blue goes, convince me to get up early. And instead of in entertaining that conversation, you know, one of the things I've learned from you is uh, really it's about purpose. Purpose is going to provide all the energy. And so I just asked him, do you know your vision for your life or your purpose for your life? And he's like, well, I just wanted advice on how to wake up early. I'm like, well, that's that may get you up tomorrow, but that's not going to get you up next week, six months from now, all of that. And so one of his pushbacks to me that I think would be helpful for anybody listening is how do you go about finding your purpose? I'm sure you get asked that all the time. What's What are the steps people can take to start trying to find that? Well, I wrote a book called The Seed, which is about finding your purpose and happiness for your life and your work. So it's about a guy who's on a search for his purpose and we're all searching for our purpose. It's why 
the purpose driven life has sold like a hundred million copies because everybody wants to know what their purpose is. I believe you start living on purpose. When you start to live with intention and purpose, a bigger purpose will start to reveal itself to you. Start to make a difference, start to serve, start to help others. Look for ways to be useful, encouraging and impactful in the lives of others. And when you're doing that and you're serving, you start to open yourself up to this greater purpose. The other key is to say, why am I here? What is my purpose? Ask, be open. I mean, I literally cried out to God and said, God, why am I here? What is my purpose? Show me the way I am open. Next thing you know, writing and speaking came to me. That's how I found my purpose. I asked, I cried out. I wasn't a believer. I wasn't a faithful person. I was a big meditator. I was, I would say I was, I would be more of a Buddhist at that time. And I literally just cried out to the creator of the universe and said, God, I know that you have a purpose for me. What is it? Next thing you know, it came. And God's like, no, I do have a purpose for you. And here it is. So I didn't find this, it found me. And I find that you just have to be open to it. You have to be a conduit. So often we have this sludge in our pipeline that it's holding us back. It's our fear, it's our doubt, it's our past, it's our feeling of unworthiness. And this sludge prevents the flow of purpose and plan from moving through you. And so when you remove the sludge and you're open, next thing you know, the purpose starts to reveal itself. It starts to move through you. And living your purpose, living on purpose, knowing that you were created for a purpose and that there's a purpose for your life allows you to live more intentionally. So I would say, start to act as if, start to live with purpose. Know that you were created for a purpose. Be open for that. You're not here by accident. Trusting in a plan for your life, trusting that there's a purpose for you and just believing that you then start to receive that in your life. So that's what I would say. And the seed goes on to explain that more. And again, I'm not trying to be self-promotional, but I've had a lot of people read the book and say, wow, it really helped me, you know, think about what my purpose is and why I'm here. But we're all seeking our purpose because there's a purpose that's meant to be found. You wouldn't be seeking it if there wasn't a purpose meant to be found, right? So the fact that you're seeking it means there's a purpose for you to find. It would be futile to actually seek a purpose when it was really imaginary. No, you really do have a purpose. Well, uh, I, you can count one of those purchases if you get your Amazon updates happening after this call going to Sutton Smith in Ohio. So thank you for that one. Um, all right, getting back to positivity. Um, one thing I really appreciate is when I think about positivity, we, we think, you know, I think SNL characters like, the Will Ferrell, Sherry Terry, uh, cheerleaders, just rah, rah, rah. <laughs> and you constantly talk about, it's not about fake positivity. And to me, that's really refreshing because I don't think that really plays well sometimes, like as a leader in an organization, often it doesn't. And so tell me about what the difference is real positivity versus the fake positivity that I just described. It doesn't play well at all. Fake positivity is not good. And toxic positivity is really a concern to a lot of people in education. A lot of people are talking about toxic positivity right now. And in a way, I don't like it because they're trying to basically get rid of all kinds of positivity. They're almost saying like, hey, there's no such thing as, as, as good positivity or real positivity when real positivity is what we need. Real positivity is what works. This is the real stuff that makes great leaders and great teams great. So toxic positivity means that it's not okay right? It's not okay to, to, to not be okay. And I'm here to say that it's okay to not be okay. 
Like you have to understand people are going through a tough time. People are facing challenges. You can't say to them, hey, just be positive. Just smile. Come on, get over it. You can't be like that. That's not real positivity. You have to understand where people are. And then the goal is with real optimism, faith, belief, and support and encouragement, you lift them up. You encourage them. And so you don't want to minimize what someone is going through or what someone is feeling. So I often say it's not about sugarcoating the situation, but you don't want to let negativity sour the situation. Real positivity is not about ignoring reality. No, we admit this is a tough time. We admit this is a challenge. We admit that this is really difficult. But with optimism, belief, and faith, we create a better reality. It's not seeing the world through rose-colored glasses. It's knowing that you have the power to overcome the thorns. When you're feeling that way, you don't want to stay there. You don't want to go down the spiral staircase of depression and despair. What you want to do is feed yourself, feed yourself each day with optimism, belief, and faith. So that way you can feed others. Because if you don't have it, you can't share it. So to be a great leader, to be a great team member, to be a great influencer in the lives of others, to be a great parent, you have to feed yourself each day to be resilient, to have grit, to be strong on the inside, to withstand all the forces of negativity, adversity, and challenges on the outside. Right now, we have a lot of people that are dealing with their mental health. Now, let me tell you something, talking about toxic, toxic positivity is not helpful to those people. Talking about fake positivity is not helpful, but talking about real ways that they can overcome, real ways they can be encouraged, real ways to feed themselves each day to, to take on the challenge, Helping, helping them shift their perspective, that's what they need. They need love, support, encouragement. So I'm a big believer in talking about real optimism, real belief, and real faith. And we have to do it today because anytime you talk, anytime you talk about positivity, people roll their eyes. You know, oh, Mr. Positive. No, no, I am not Mr. Positive. I'm naturally <laughs> negative. But let me tell you how I worked to be more positive. Let me tell you about this organization and what they did to turn things around and how positive leadership made all the difference. Let me tell you about the power of a positive team, which we work with schools now and we basically help create collective teacher efficacy where they believe that they can succeed together. They believe they can impact these students' lives. And as a result of that belief, they actually do it. You know, we have research from Duke University that shows that optimists work harder, get paid more, and are more likely to succeed in business and sports. And what they found was that these optimists, because they believed in a brighter and better future, they took the actions necessary to create it. It's so funny though, Dustin, the, 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 the researchers said that they deluded themselves into believing it was possible. Deluded. We might choose the term <laughs> belief and faith instead of delude, but it shows the power of the mind because you believe it, you take the actions necessary to create it. It shows that when you believe in something, you'll work harder, you'll take the actions necessary, you'll realize it. So. Optimism is believing in a better, better, brighter, better future. Positivity is about overcoming negativity, about being kind, about being loving, sharing your great positive energy with others, and about overcoming the daily grind and challenges and obstacles we face. Being positive won't guarantee that you'll succeed, but being negative will guarantee you won't. Mm. That's what I know. So when we talk about toxic positivity, let's make sure we address it in a real way. Let's talk about being real, not being fake, not saying just get over it. So in that area, we can learn from that, but let's not let toxic positivity sabotage anybody's attempt to be more positive. In some ways it's evil trying to keep a good thing from becoming great.
Absolutely. I, I think, so you are the first person in my life and that's not to give you too much credit, but that, you know, when I hear people say, I'm going to send you positive vibes, I promise you, and I'm a joyful, heartfelt person. So when you talk about loving, loving your people and all that, that's all speaks to my heart, but sending positive vibes was never a thing until I got introduced to your thinking and about the energy that we give. And the fact that you couple it saying it's not positive, it's not, it's not toxic. It's not rah, rah. Um, that to me, like, is, that's why I want people to know who you are and what this is about, because I, this is the positivity that we need. I appreciate that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think if you're on the outside without hearing this or knowing this, you may just hear about positivity and just roll your eyes and you yep. may just say, oh, <laughs> he's, he's like one of those guys. He's one of those people that are rah, rah, annoying, bouncing off the walls, you know, come on, be, be positive. But that's not the case. And it's good because I've learned over the years. Like I used to go in and talk about just positivity very early in my career. And I quickly learned that the best way to resonate with people was to actually share about my own negativity. Mm. And so when I would talk about that to my audiences, especially educators, it really struck a chord because that's what we're all going through. Very small percentage of the population are just naturally positive. Most of us go a little towards the negative and we need help with more positivity. So I think, I think that's, that's the case. It's my mission and I just feel called and my mission to actually talk about this, to share this and help school leaders, help business leaders, help sports leaders become more positive, help develop teams that, that work together in a more positive way and don't allow negativity to sabotage your teams. Too many schools, too many educators, too many sports teams, too many businesses allow negativity to sabotage their culture and their team. And when you're in a vision, when you're in a mission and you have a vision of where you want to go, you cannot allow negativity to sabotage your organization. And well, and sorry to cut you off. I mean, that that's something that is incredibly refreshing. And as someone who's a former athlete, uh, I do believe that if you have negative people on your teams, even if they're the, the most talented person, they can be a detriment to your performance. I'll say as a former educator, teacher, and district official overseeing you know, uh, schools, uh, addressing negativity and moving folks off a bus is phenomenally harder. You've been working with schools for a long time now. What's the advice you have for the cynic out there saying, yeah, John, that's great, but I can't move my negative folks. So we got to talk about something else. One person can't make a team, but one person can break a team. And so for those schools, and we work with a lot of schools. Now we have an energy bus for schools program. We have a positive schools program, the power of positive schools. And we're working with a lot of schools now in terms of, of positivity, right? Just the area of positive leadership, positive teamwork. And so we're seeing a lot of impact on morale and culture. So I tell these leaders all the time, these school leaders, you have to create a culture that is so strong, so positive that the negativity can breed and grow, that the negativity doesn't feel comfortable, that that person no longer wants to be on this bus. They do not fit in anymore. We had a principal that was part of our energy bus for schools program. And she was having a problem with one of these energy vampires on her team. It was a staff member that basically said, I've been here before you, and I'll be here after you. Exactly. I'm not That's what I'm talking about. Yep, you, you're coming in with all this positivity. I'm not changing. And so basically the principal was like, what do we do? We kept coaching her, coaching her. Just keep building your culture. Keep getting people on your bus. Get those middle of the road people to become chief energy officers. You have the few people that, that are staying 
on the other side of the bus that do not want to get on the bus. So, or they're off the bus, but keep building your middle ground, keep getting your champions to support you and keep building your team, keep creating your culture. Then that person will not fit in at the end of the year. She took our advice. She kept working, kept building, kept sharing the importance of positivity, the cost of negativity, kept implementing our program and, and how we do things to, to build a positive culture. That teacher came up to her at the end of the year and said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. This place is too positive for me. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting run over by the bus, she said, because I won't change. In other words, she wanted to stay negative. Now she's on another bus somewhere else. And that morale, that culture, that school is performing at its highest level yet. In organizations or in schools where you can't just get someone off the bus right away, you have to document, 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 and make your case. We have some strong unions that don't make that possible. But best thing you can do is start talking about the culture, start talking about optimism and belief, start talking about the research and the benefits and the science behind it, which power of positive leadership is all about power of a positive team is all about again i'm not being self-promotional just trying to give tools we provide a lot of free tools on our websites too right you can go to power positive power positive schools.com uh, energy bus for schools just google that and you'll see like all these great tools and some free resources that you can use to help your school become more positive and 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 that's our goal like you do a lot of great work right in the area of the leader in me and leadership which is incredible and you need both you need leadership and you need positive leadership and you yeah. need for your teachers and educators to be positive you need to create a common language that people can understand and work around to be more positive and have have a have a dialogue to talk about these things and have conversations and no one really wants to be part of a negative environment it's like a coach that goes into a sports team bad culture they're not winning and that coach turns around that culture and that team we see it all the time Dabo sweeney did it in clemson and i I've worked with Dabo now for nine years. I worked with Sean McVay when he took the job with the Rams. Dave Roberts when he got the job with the with the Dodgers and helped him build his culture. And the Dodgers, you know, would always do well during the season, but always lose in the first round or second round in the playoffs. Then they made it to the World Series several years in a row and finally won one this year, all because of the culture and the leadership. And that, that's how it works. And so I'm not just talking about this. The cool thing is I've lived it. I'm so much more convicted than ever because when you see a team do what you teach and implement those principles and you see them win national championships, World Series, Stanley Cups, get to the Super Bowl like the Rams have. They haven't won. I haven't had a team win the Super Bowl yet, but I've had several teams get to the Super Bowl. You see how those teams change everything because of their positive leadership, positive teamwork and culture. So no one can tell me that this doesn't work. and. Oh, we have a few energy vampires. Well, here's how we deal with them. Here's how we work through this. And what it's not an excuse to just give up. It's not an excuse to not try. It's not an excuse to say, oh, positivity won't work because of this, this, and this. No, positive change happens through positive leadership. Yeah. I. So one of the things that uh, I appreciated you addressing uh, in your positive leadership book about those kind of energy vampires, the, the folks that are kind of sucking the energy away, is that before it was about, it was, it's never been, a, even in your energy bus, it was never about judgment. It's always assume the best in people. They just may not be the type of person that needs to be on your bus, right? And you gave advice that said, look in the mirror first and 
ask yourself a question. Will you share that with us? Like if I'm trying to figure out if these are the right people, what's that question I need to be asking myself before I start trying to figure out how to fix them or fix the circumstances? Yeah, before you ask anyone else to change, you have to improve yourself. You have to be the kind of leader people want to follow. So you have to say, am I being a positive leader? Am I being a positive role model? Where are my leadership gaps? How can I improve? How can I become a better leader? And ask for feedback, like, hey, how will I communicate on a scale of one to 10? And then what would make it a 10? You'll get a lot of great feedback from your team if you're open to their ideas and open to their suggestions. So just be open, look in the mirror first, become a leader that they want to follow. Mm. You talk, another, another subject that you talk a lot about that I really appreciate is that um, you know, I think I probably, I had a team meeting this morning and I'm sure I creeped them out. Cause I was like, at the end of every meeting, I'm like, I just want you guys to know, I love you. I'm so thankful to have you on my team. This is awesome, but I love you. I say, I love you all the time. And I'm sure they've got to roll their eyes at some point, but you talk about the power of love often, uh, in the workspace. Can you tell me a little bit about maybe some of the experiences that you get from the cynics when you first talking about love and then some tools that, of how we can show love to our teams? Yeah, I don't really get any negative feedback because once you present it, people can't argue with it. We all want to be loved. Yeah. We all are looking for love, right? Everyone's looking for love, sometimes in the wrong places, but we're all looking for love. And here's the thing, when you become love, since everyone's looking for love, guess what? They're looking for you. And so the more you love people, you receive it back. So love is the most powerful force in the universe. We all really know that. Deep down, we're all thinking, hey, do you love me? And can I trust you? And when you become a leader that you that is trusted and people know you love them, you earn their respect. People will follow you with passion when they know you love them. We've all heard the adage, right? Uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, love and care go hand in hand. And I would argue that all business really is relational. And it is personal. The old adage that, hey, it's not, it's not personal, it's just business. That's history, especially during COVID. We've seen each other's cats and dogs. We've heard the babies cry. We've heard the kids in the background. We've seen our families. There's, there's a greater connection and intimacy than ever. And I think that's actually a good thing. I think it's great how it's humanized a lot of relationships. So with clients, with teams, with colleagues, it's really important to understand that, that love is the common bond. How can we share our love for each other. How can we do it in a, in a very meaningful way? And I always say four C's are the key. Communication, connection, commitment, and caring. Communicate well, take the time to connect, show you're committed. That's where you have service and sacrifice for others, sacrificial love, we before me, and show you care. Put love into action through care. And when people feel those four C's in their life and in the relationship, they're more likely to follow you. And those are keys for leadership, keys for teamwork. And they're a big part of our training and our, our programs because we, we help teams implement those four C's. That's awesome. I think uh, as you've seen leaders from the sports world, uh, I, I still not over the fact that you've worked closely with Dabo. I grew up in Tallahassee. And so the Florida State Seminoles had just dominated college football until you had some small part to do with Dabo's vision and all that. So uh, I was thinking about ending this podcast at that point, but clearly you helped. <laughs> people get to greatness, which is awesome. And so the, the leaders who are listening, I think they definitely need to explore the things you're teaching them. Uh, my question is, you know, excellence is the key for everything, right? We've got to strive for excellence. Uh, and one of the things that you have talked about that helps me is it's about being demanding, but not being demeaning. 
can you tell us how we how do we balance that when we're trying to set a high bar for excellence uh, in our work? When we talk about positive leadership, people often think that being positive means you're not demanding that, hey, you just have fun, just come to work, we're gonna love each other, we're gonna get along, we're gonna have a great time. That's not positive leadership because you believe the best is yet to come. You expect the best and give your best to create the best outcome. So it's really about excellence. You're pursuing excellence as a leader. You expect excellence for your team. So you're gonna be demanding of them, but you're not gonna be demeaning in the process. You're gonna be encouraging. You're gonna uplift them. You're gonna create a standard of behavior. You're gonna have high standards and you're gonna rally your team and encourage them and believe in them to meet those standards. So to me, standards are key. Everyone has to understand what the standards are. And then you're gonna lead them in a positive, encouraging way to help them meet those standards. They gotta know both. What are the standards? And they gotta know you care about them. I call it love tough instead of tough love. Yeah. Tough love no longer works. It's love tough. If your team knows you love them, then you earn the right to challenge them. Hmm. Yeah. I. And I, I think, I mean, I think about sports as well. We're around uh, a lot of kids in our household with uh, my wife working at school system and everywhere else. And so thinking that through is that tough love, kids shut down, love tough, kids embrace it a little bit more. Um, it's really refreshing. So you talk about the power of grit um, for individuals. How, how do I start to create a culture of grit if I'm leading a school or a district right now? Most important thing you can do for a culture of grit is to actually be a gritty leader. So leaders with grit actually are more likely to create a team that has grit. So you model it and then you talk about what really creates a gritty team or a gritty individual. And I believe that we're all born with grit. This is great for kids too. It's not like you have to necessarily like, I gotta work at becoming more gritty. I gotta develop my grit. You already have grit. It's knowing that when you were a kid and you were trying to walk, you would fall down and trip and get knocked down and you kept getting back up. So you had grit as a child learning to walk and you still have it to this day. It's recognizing the world is telling you that you don't have what it takes. Mm -hmm. And so you have to recognize you already have within you everything you need to succeed. And so you already are gritty. Just knowing that makes you more gritty. How you see the world determines the world that you see and knowing that you can overcome the world that the power inside you is greater than the forces outside you. That's what makes you gritty. That's why the coffee bean is such a powerful example, the carrot, the egg and the coffee bean, which if you want to know, I can get to that in a second, but it's about being gritty in that way. Here's a formula for grit. It's my own formula. Angela Duckworth is the foremost researcher, obviously on grit. She wrote a great book about grit, but this is sort of what I teach when it comes to grit. It's inspired by vision and purpose. You know where you're going and why you're going there. It is fueled by optimism and belief. We talked about that. It's powered by faith and hope. We all need something to long for, something to hope for, and our faith must be greater than our fear. When it is, we keep moving forward. It is driven by love. If you don't love it, you'll never be great at it. So love is a driver of grit. When you love your team, you don't give up on them. When you love your students, it makes you teach harder and longer and give all you have because you love them. So love drives grit. And so it's driven by love. It is created from the inside out. Power is on the inside. It's revived by resilience. It's kept alive by stubbornness. Like I'm just not quitting. I'm not giving up. There's a stubbornness to it. And if we're honest, it includes a little fear of failure, not the big fear that sabotages you. That's 
dangerous. That holds you back. The little fear that says prepare more. The little fear that gives you an edge. The little fear that says, maybe I don't have it today. I better bring my A game. That's good. And a desire to prove oneself. Tom Brady is still trying to prove himself at 43 years old. We have to be honest. That's what makes the great ones great. They have a little desire to prove themselves. Right, I've written 23 books. I've sold over 5 million copies. And yet every time I talk to a group of teachers and educators, I wanna bring it. I wanna make a difference. I wanna impact them. There's a little fear that says, I won't have it today or they're not gonna like it. All right, I gotta be my best. You know, I wanna prove that I still have it. And so even at that point, I know like God puts that little bit inside me, that little insecurity to make me work a little harder to serve others in a, in a greater way. Because if I was arrogant, I'm like, ah, I'm good, you know, I got this. I don't need to make a difference today. I wouldn't make the impact that I have. And so I think there's a little bit that that is that serves a greater purpose. And so if we're honest, that's the formula for grit. And, and I think every day, are you proving yourself to those students? Are you proving yourself as a leader to your teachers? Are you gritty in terms of being stubborn, not quitting through the challenges, the adversity, the obstacles? Are you being resilient? Are you remembering to love what you do and focus on that love each day? Are you allowing your purpose to drive you? We don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. So remembering that why is key. And of course, that optimism and belief to feed yourself every day. You get up in the morning, you get a rise and shine. Instead of, you don't want to rise and whine. You want to rise and shine. And we don't want a W-I-N-E. We don't want to rise in W-I-N-E. I had a woman the other day, they'll say, speak for yourself when I said that, which is pretty funny. <laughs> uh, I, I know we got a limited time, so I want to uh, ask you two last questions. Something from the energy bus that I appreciated was when you when you talked about rule 10, have fun and enjoy the ride, you, you've, you used some uh, research about what 95-year-olds say are the three most important things that they look back on and or would want to change about their lives can you talk a little bit about that so we know you know that's one of the things that's inspiring to me is that reminding you that life's short we're not guaranteed tomorrow how do we how do we live with that every day not in a way it's crippling but a way that's really empowering yeah first i'm gonna found i want to find out where they found all these 90 year olds probably <laughs> florida i guess i would imagine florida <laughs> but i love that study because they asked them what they would do differently and they said they would have reflected more more sunrises, more sunsets, more time to reflect on their life. Be intentional, what matters most. They would have taken more chances, more risk. I think so often we go through life with that fear that holds us back from creating the life that we were meant to live. And so don't be afraid, be courageous, go after it. And and that last one is they would have le left a legacy that's that lived on long after they were gone. And I believe the greatest legacy we can leave is not some building named after us, but the lives that we touch, the impact that we have on, on people's lives, on your students' lives. And as a teacher, that's the greatest legacy you can leave. I think about the teachers who made a difference in my life. Ed Eamon, Mrs. Omacher, Mrs. Leota, Coach Keller, Tony Chiazza, they changed my life. I would not be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for them. Like they left a legacy in me and everywhere I speak, everywhere I go, whatever I do, I'm carrying on their legacy. Ivan Goldfarb said, if I get into Cornell, you go. Mm. He said, because you can do it. I believe in you. Another teacher said I shouldn't go because I wouldn't be able to do the work. It'll be too hard for me. This was an English teacher. <clears throat> Glad I didn't listen because I'm a writer now, but Ivan, <laughs> Ivan Goldfarb believed. And he said, you do that. 
And so it's incredible the legacy that you can leave in others and knowing how you want to be remembered helps you decide how to live and lead today. I'm 50, just turned 50. And earlier in my life, as I would get older, I didn't really think much about age. I was never a big age person. Every year as I moved towards 50, I would say I'm getting younger and stronger and faster and better. Well, maybe not faster, but definitely better and wiser, definitely. But I would always be positive about the aging process. And then at 50 years old, you start to reflect, okay, I'm 50 now. What do I want my life to be like for the next rest of the years? You know, how do I want to be? So I, I made a, I made an optimistic goal. I'm going to live to hundred. I'm going for hundred. And so what I realized is I'm halfway there. And, and in the words of the great American philosopher, John Bon Jovi, I'm halfway there. I'm living on a prayer. <laughs> and so that's my journey as I move forward, halfway there, living on a prayer and thinking about what kind of legacy I want to leave. I want to enjoy the ride. I want to make a difference. I want a great funeral that when I die, right? People are going to say, he made a difference in my life. That's all that matters to me. Like nothing else matters. Like how did I impact people's lives? Covey says, right? We know it. Live with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind. So thinking about the end in mind helps you decide how to live today and make the most of today. So legacy is very powerful and it's not about the building. It's about the lives you touch. And to me, that's what it's all about. And that's why teachers are my heroes because they're leaving that legacy every single day in such a selfless, heroic way. So before we wrap, we asked some the same questions and you've given us so many nuggets of life-changing uh, lessons. I can't wait to see this podcast come out and the people on social media talk about the, the takeaways that they have. Uh, but the question we always ask everybody is, what is one change that I can make today? If you had one piece of advice, and it may just be something that's on your heart today from a meeting earlier this morning, doesn't really matter. But if you're just saying, hey, there's there's one piece of advice I have for you right now, what would that be to take that first step? I share it often, but it is the best piece of advice that I've ever heard. It's from Dr. James Gills, the only person on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons, which means you do an Ironman, a day later you do another one. Last time he did it, he was 59 years old, and he was asked how he did it, and he said, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. He said, if I listen, I hear all the fear, all the negativity, all the doubt, all the reasons why I can't have finished this race. But if I talk to myself, I could feed myself with the words and the encouragement that I need to keep on moving forward. The word encourage means to put courage into. So when you encourage yourself, you're putting courage into yourself. When you encourage others, you're putting courage into them. As an educator, you believe in others more than they believe in themselves. So it's about moving forward in your life where you believe in others, but you have to believe in yourself first. You have to encourage yourself and you have to talk to yourself. All those negative voices are coming in. Don't listen to the lies that they tell. Those lies will tell you things about you that are not true, that you're not worthy. You're not enough. You're not going to make it. You're not going to succeed. Don't, you're not making a difference. Don't listen to the lies. Every day you show up and you keep talking to yourself with words of encouragement and truth. You're here for a reason. There's a plan for your life. You're here to make a difference. And there is greatness inside of you. The reason why you want to do great things, because we all do deep down, is because there's greatness within us. You're going to tap into that greatness and your goal is to bring greatness out in others. That's what it's all about. So thanks for having me. Really appreciate you allowing me to share this and I had a lot of fun. And you know, when you do a podcast like this, there are ideas and thoughts that come through that you haven't thought about before or shared before. And that was that was one today that we had. Like I, I felt 
the energy flowing where a lot of things came to me to share and, and I appreciate when that happens. Again, I don't want to take credit for it. Obviously <laughs> people were meant to hear some of these things or else I wouldn't have said it. So I just hope whatever we said encouraged people, especially getting up at 4.30 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't worry, I'll be asleep by like seven o'clock tonight. But uh, John, I, this is a dream come true for me, sincerely. Thank you for making the time. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, I cannot encourage you enough to go pick up the energy bus, go pick up the, I mean, there's books upon books upon books that John has that are going to be life-changing. Go pick up the power of positive leadership. Go look into, if you're an educator, go look into the things that him and his team are doing in the field of education. Uh, we're, they're changing lives and I, I encourage you to hop on their bus. Again, this is the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. If you haven't subscribed already, go to YouTube. Go to Apple, go, go Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify, subscribe. Uh, we appreciate your support and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks so much.